2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to pick up a reading in verse 14, down through chapter 4 in verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who was a pastor and spiritual leader in the early church. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and in his, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Lord, would you come and now speak to us through your inspired word, that we might hear your voice, your words, your truth, what you want us to hear, what we need to hear. And may it instruct us in righteousness and Make us wise unto salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move forward in the calendar and in our preaching schedule, uh, we have announced that beginning the first Sunday of May, we are going to be doing a lengthy two or three year series of messages through the book of Genesis. Now, to prepare us for that, uh, we plan that I'm going to do uh, two messages to kind of orient us uh, to a very different kind of biblical text uh, than that which we have become accustomed to. Through the first six years of our existence as a church, uh, we have preached through the book of Ephesians, the book of Ecclesiastes, several of the Psalms. Uh, the book of the whole Gospel of Matthew, and most recently the, gospel, or the letter to the Colossians. But now we're go- turning to the Old Testament and to narrative, extended narrative scriptures. And it is a very different kind of scripture in certain ways than that we're, which we're used to. And for that reason, I'm going to take a couple of messages, uh, book-ending Uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, the first Sunday and the last Sunday this month, going to take a couple of messages to ask and answer two questions. Number one, why should we study 
the Old Testament? And then number two, why Genesis? We're going to answer those questions, God helping us over the next month or so. Now, if that's my aim, if the aim is why should we read and study the Old Testament, then why in the world did I pick as my text for today something in the New Testament? The reason is because this text in the New Testament is talking about the Old Testament. As we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Paul's words that all Scripture is inspired, is breathed out by God, we need to understand that the Scriptures that Paul had in mind primarily at that point were the Old Testament Scriptures. How do we know that? Well, because the New Testament wasn't written yet, or at least only a few of the letters and works of the New Testament were written, and because you'll notice that Paul says to Timothy that these were the sacred writings that he had learned in his childhood, which points back to a number of years, decades in fact, to long before the New Testament Scriptures were written. So when Paul writes here, all Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God, he is saying all the Old Testament Scriptures, by implication the New Testament as well, but what he had in mind was the Old. And he says that these Old Testament Scriptures, the first, what, two-thirds of your Bible, that part of your Bible that sometimes makes you uneasy and uncomfortable and makes you ask a lot of questions, Paul says those Scriptures are inspired by God and they can do a number of things. They can make you wise unto salvation. And they can make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. And they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What Paul is saying here is don't neglect the old just because you're in the new. Realize that in the old... There is salvation to be found. Not just salvation, but salvation in Christ to be found. And realize that there is teaching, there is reproof, there is correction, there is training in righteousness to be found in the Old Testament. Why should we study the Old Testament? I want to give you four answers here this morning. Number one, because it is inspired by God. It is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Everything in Scripture, all the Scripture, all the Scriptures, the sacred writings in the Old and New Testament are breathed out by God. That means that they, they came from the mind and they came from the heart of God and He breathed them out. <sighs> Using human writers whom He preserved from error and, and from fallibility in the writing. Using human writings, God breathed forth His Word, His truth, and it landed on the pages. 
So that what we hold in our hands right here is nothing less than or other than the written Word of the living God. All Scripture, every page, every page is inspired by God. Friends, that doesn't mean that every law or ceremony or teaching you find in the Old Testament, for example, is meant for us today. Because there are New Testament writings that tell us that some of those laws no longer apply to us today. There are changes, but it nevertheless is the Word of God. These are the words of God, and the truth expressed in these words is the truth, the absolute truth, the authoritative truth, the final truth, by which all other ideas of truth must be measured. This is the final authority. This is, we are people ultimately of the book. We are not a people moving along with our own ideas. We are not a people moving along through our own impulses. We are not a people defining and creating our own faith, our own religion, our own convictions, our own doctrines. No, we are a people of the book. And this book, therefore, from its cover, from one cover to the other, this book must be studied and it must be reverenced and it must be cherished and it must be valued and if in places it is difficult we must labor to understand it and if there are places we can't figure it all out we just need to be humble enough to say oh lord the problem's not with your book the problem's with us it's not that your word is fallible we are fallible all Scripture is inspired by God. Why, why should we study the Old Testament? Because it's God-breathed. It's His Word. Why should we study the Old Testament? Reason number two, because it makes us wise unto salvation. Verse 15. From childhood you have been acquainted, Paul says, with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings that Timothy would have been raised with are Genesis through Malachi. And Paul says, under the inspiration of God, those sacred writings make you wise for salvation. You can find salvation in the Old Testament. And not only so, you can find salvation through faith in Christ in the Old Testament. You say, well, Jesus isn't even named in the Old Testament. No, he's not. But everything about him is proclaimed. We're going to see as we move through the book of Genesis that Jesus is found throughout the book of Genesis. And then you get into Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and all the way through and you find Jesus on virtually every page. One way or another, Jesus is there. This is why Jesus says in Luke 24, after His resurrection, when He's walking with the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, it says that beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, and all the prophets... 
He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. You see, it's not, it's not that Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. We just don't understand how He is in the Old Testament. And He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, talking about the Old Testament Scriptures, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Did you hear that? All of that is stated and written in the Old Testament. That Christ would suffer. That Christ would be raised from the dead. That there would be forgiveness through the repentance of sin and that His name will be proclaimed to all the nations. All of that is in the Old Testament. Much of that is in the book of Genesis. So why are we studying the Old Testament? Well, because we want to be wise unto salvation. And we want to find that salvation in Jesus Christ. And we want to see Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. You know, brothers, sisters, if you find the Old Testament hard and difficult, one primary reason is because Maybe your eye and heart is not yet trained to see Jesus in the Old Testament. Because as soon as you realize He's there, you start finding Him. There are clues, there are hints, there are foreshadowings, there are symbols, there are ceremonies, all of which are pointing ahead to the One who is to come, was to come, and has now come, and will come. Again, let me, give, let me give you a sample just from the book of Genesis. The Garden of Eden, what is it? Is it just this old, uh, original paradise? No, the Garden of Eden is meant to be a picture and a symbol of heaven. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Genesis chapter 3 is meant to point ahead to the day when we will be in the eternal paradise, the eternal Eden where God walks among His people. Eden is preaching the Gospel. Sabbath rest in Genesis 2. We are told that God rested on the seventh day and declared it holy. In the New Testament, we find out that the Sabbath principle is meant to be a symbol and a foreshadowing of our eternal rest in Christ. Marriage in chapter 2 of Genesis. In chapter 2, it says that God made Eve because Adam needed a helper. But in the New Testament, we read that there was even a greater reason why God made Adam and Eve and made them married. It was to foreshadow and prefigure the love of Christ for His bride, the church. In Genesis 3, God tells us of a battle between Satan and a coming son of Eve in which it would appear that Satan would win 
what happened on Good Friday looked like Satan won. But then the son of Eve, the coming ruler Messiah, would crush Satan's head. That's what happened on Easter Sunday morning. All that's told in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 6-8, through we see God deliver Noah and his family from the flood. And in the New Testament, we realize, we hear, we see that the ark in which God shut Noah up so that he would be safe from judgment, that ark is a foreshadowing of Jesus in whom we, into whom we run and hide as a refuge for our souls. And on and on we go through the book of Genesis where we read that there were sacrifices and every sacrifice is a prefigurement of the ultimate sacrifice that is coming. Jesus is everywhere in Genesis. In Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve have sinned and the curse and the judgment has been pronounced on them, what does God do? God takes some animals and He slays them. Pours out blood in their place. Remember, God had said on the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. They ate the fruit. It looked like they didn't die, but they died or they were put to death vicariously, if you will through the offering of those animals that died in their place, foreshadowing the coming of the Lamb of God who would pour out His blood for us on the cross. And what did God do with the skins of those animals? In Genesis chapter 3, all the way back there, what did God do? He turned them into clothes to cover the shame of their sin. And even so in Christ, He has taken the robe of Christ's righteousness and He has covered our shame and our sin with the spotlessness and the purity of Christ so that in His eyes we are clean and righteous. All of this is in the Old Testament pointing ahead to the new. We can't help. We can't wait as pastors can't wait for the opportunity to show this to you over and over and over again. The third reason for studying the Old Testament is because it rebukes and corrects and trains in righteousness. Isn't that what it says in verse 16? All Scripture breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Much of what the Old Testament is about, friends, is showing us, showing us how not to live. How not to live. It's showing us, too, what human nature would be like apart from the Gospel, apart from the transforming power of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the things that are written in the Old Testament are written to be an example to us so that we will not do the things that they did. So all the stories in the Old Testament are not just stories, and they certainly are not fables and myths. They are are morality lessons in the sense that God is saying to us, don't do this. 
Don't do what the Israelites did. Don't do what Abraham did. He believed God and that was counted for righteousness, but he messed up big time. Don't be like Abraham. Don't be, David was a good guy, but he messed up big time. Follow their faith, but don't follow their life. Learn to be corrected and rebuked and trained in righteousness through the Old Testament. And then fourth, we want to study the Old Testament because it teaches us. It teaches us most emphatically about God. It teaches us most emphatically about God. Many of you have heard me say this before that um, in the years of my ministry and the opportunities I've had to counsel with people and encourage them in their walk with the Lord, uh, I have accumulated somewhere over 15,000 hours of counseling. Um, And a while back, I started to think about what were the what were the primary needs that people had that came for counseling? And the number one need that I discerned was people need more of God. They need more of God. They need to know who God is and what God is like. They need to know His majesty. They need to know His glory. They need to know His power. They need to know His holiness. They they need to know His grace, His mercy, His love, His tenderheartedness, His faithfulness, His compassion. They need to know more of God. And friends, the Old Testament reveals God in all of His multifaceted glory and beauty and wonder and sometimes terrifying majesty, but ultimately comforting and grace-filling majesty. I love looking for what I call the divine verbs of the Bible. Uh, finding those, those action words, those words that declare something more that God is doing something more that God has done. And I recently read through the book of Genesis and counted up all the action verbs, all the divine verbs, and there are over 200 of them in the book of Genesis alone. Over 200 times, God is said to do something and say something. And each of those deeds, each of those works is a revelation of God. Each work tells us something about God. This is a book, the book of Genesis, is a book about God. About what God has done and is doing and is going to do. So let me, let me give you, uh, you won't believe this when you hear it, but let me give you a hundred divine verbs and actions rapid fire. All based, all from the book of Genesis. God creates all that is and speaks it into being. God sees His creation and calls it very good. 
God names what He has made. God sets celestial bodies in place. God blesses what He has made. God gives us plants and animals for food. God finishes what He starts. God rests from His creative work. But He isn't done yet. God forms man and male and female and breathes life into them. God plants gardens and makes trees spring up. God commands obedience. God causes Adam to sleep. God takes a rib from Adam and from it makes Eve. God brings Eve to Adam to be His helper bride. But God isn't done yet. God makes the serpent and then swears to crush his head. God walks in the garden. God calls to man. God curses the ground. God multiplies pain in human labor, whether in the womb or in the field, but He isn't done yet. God clothes humans to cover their shame. God exacts justice and holy vengeance. God gives children by opening and closing wombs. God takes people to heaven, but He isn't done yet. God sees our wickedness, grieves our condition, and feels sorrow for how we have messed things up. God decides to make an end of humanity, blotting out everyone except Noah and his family. God tells Noah to build an ark and then shuts Noah up safely in it. God sends rain, brings a flood, stirs the wind, and makes famines happen, and then makes a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of His faithfulness. But He isn't done yet. God establishes covenants and keeps them. God remembers His people. God smells the pleasing aroma of a godly sacrifice. God enlarges borders, creates and disperses nations, dispenses land, and makes room for His people. God appears in dreams and gives interpretations for them. God visits earth, comes down among us, and then goes up from us. But He isn't done yet. God afflicts the wicked. God sees the lonely and listens to their affliction. God makes people fruitful, increases their assets, grants them success, and even makes them laugh for joy. God spares from judging the righteous and rains fire and brimstone on the wicked. He destroys and He overthrows, but He isn't done yet. God sometimes keeps people from sinning and other times lets them have their own way. God hears our voices and heals our diseases. God opens our eyes of faith. God provides a lamb for our sin. He sends His angels to go before us and bless us and lead us into His will. But He isn't done yet. God appoints spouses and answers prayers. He gives the dew of heaven, the fatness of earth, the plenty of grain and wine at His will. God stands at heaven's gate. God sees when we are hated, hears when we are troubled, and erases seasons of hardship from our memory. God gives wages, endows with wealth, does us good and then sometimes reverses those fortunes and takes them all away. But he isn't done yet. God is on the side of his own. God stands as a witness when we make promises. God strives with us and then deals graciously as he chooses. He sends terrors upon his enemies 
and then sometimes favors them instead. God rescues the lost and promotes rulers. He brings us up from bondage and gives strength in battle. And then in climax in Genesis 50, God means for good everything that others mean for evil. And he still isn't done. That's only a half of the divine verbs in Genesis. Without ever compromising his holiness or negating human responsibility or violating his law or doing any injustice or breaking any of his promises, God does or chooses not to do any of those things and all of those things according to his will, for his glory, for the everlasting good of those who belong to him in his covenant forever and ever and ever. And studying Genesis is going to give to us a view of this God that will strike us with awe and wonder. Friends, I don't think there are any greater joys in life than when we have moments of awe. Why do people go to the Niagara Falls why do people visit the Grand Canyon? Why do visit people go to, um, can't think of the planetariums, there we are, and view the stars? Why do people travel for thousands and thousands of miles to do these things? Because we are made to experience awe and wonder. And our greatest joy is not when we're feeling great about ourselves. Our greatest joy is when we're feeling great about Him. It's when we're seeing Him and experiencing Him and, and being amazed at Him that our hearts are filled with joy. The greatest joys of life are in the awe moments of life. And our prayer as your pastors, as we move through Genesis, that right from the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From that opening statement in the Bible, in the beginning, God, God created heaven and earth. All that is, all that is, He created. In the beginning, when the beginning began, He already was. And He, by the word of His power, out of nothing, created everything that ever has been, or is now, or ever will be. Let us bow and worship. That is our goal. It is true that in the New Testament we see aspects of God and His character and His holiness, His love. In the face of Jesus Christ we see mercy, compassion, glory, and goodness. But that all bears its richest fruit in our lives when we have been immersed in the old. 
So brothers and sisters, friends, join us in these coming months for these studies on the majesty of God. Why study the Old Testament? It's inspired by God. It makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. It rebukes and corrects and trains us in righteousness. And it teaches us. And most importantly, what does it teach us? Who God is and what God is like. We encourage you, start reading Genesis now. Between now and the first Sunday of May, May try to read, read it, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 times. Immerse yourself in it to let it wash over you. I, I encourage you to have either have a, a pen if you're like me. My Bible is, is, this, is my, this is my study guide to discover my God. And so I, I mark it up. I got markings everywhere. Now, if you don't want to mark your Bible, get a notebook. And just start noting all the divine verbs in the book of Genesis. What has God done? And what does that tell me about God? You know, we live in a time, and some of you have heard me say this before, and I'll close with this. We live in a time when the theology, the belief about God embraced by most people can be expressed in the very familiar words, I like to think of God as. And then they fill in the blank. Folks, that's idolatry. <laughs> you see, God is not who you prefer him to be. God does not conform chameleon-like to your preferences or mine. God is who he is. He is who he always has been and is now and always will be. And what you and I prefer is irrelevant. What we need to know is who God is as he has revealed himself in nature, in scripture, and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are hungry to know God as he is, and join us for these studies. And start right now by diving into the book of Genesis. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the firm foundation that we find in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us to our own devices, that you have not left us in the dark, that we are not left clueless. No, you have revealed yourself wonderfully and faithfully throughout all generations. And you are revealing yourself even now in these days through the world that you have made, through the word that you have given and through your Son, whom you have sent. May we be a people who are not mastered by our own preferences, our own thoughts about what we want you to be. May we be a people who submit our minds and hearts and wills before the throne of the Sovereign One. 
that one who in the beginning declared all things into existence. Show us your glory. Show us your majesty and help us, Lord, to build on this firm foundation a faith in you that will carry us through whatever fiery trials, whatever floods may come our way. Whatever sins we may commit, may we find our refuge, our repose in Christ. So Lord, help us even now to close out our worship in song with our faith turned upward to your throne. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.